Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United City Greensboro podcast, a church in the heart of Greensboro with a desire to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. You can learn more about our community at unitedcitygso.com. Enjoy today's teaching. Well, as we transition into our teaching today, um, I'm going to read the scriptures that we'll be teaching from today. Um, The first one is in Genesis uh, chapter 2, and it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible handy dandy in front of you. Genesis 2, 2 2-3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he has done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his works and he had done in creation. All right. Then our next scripture is going to be um, Exodus 28 through 11. Um, this is why it's nice to have screens, right? Technology. Um, <laughs> remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. So everybody. Uh, For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And this is the word of the Lord. Can everybody just give Kristen a round of applause for that? I made it a little bit hard on her, so um, I feel like we should just love on her a little extra this morning. Hey, y'all, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, my name is Jordan, and I have the honor and privilege of being one of the lead pastors here on staff at United City. Um, I'm excited to be with you today to dive into uh, our second, I guess, week of this series called Rhythm of Life. Um, There is one thing that I need you guys to know before I dive in, and that is that I am right at 37 weeks pregnant. And that means two things. Well, maybe three. A, I wore black to hopefully not distract y'all with my belly. B, it's really hard to breathe when you're pregnant. (laughs) So if I start gasping for air, it's okay. Um, And C, uh, if I happen to go into labor, I need one of y'all to call an ambulance. That's all. We're good. As long as y'all are on the same page, we will go ahead and dive in this morning. <laughs> so um, the series that we're in right now is called Rhythm of Life. I know Spencer and others have given a lot of context to this over the past couple of weeks, just as we've been gearing up. Um, but the reality is many churches have kind of these abstract values, these ideas of what they're after. And we felt compelled in this season to break those down practically into rhythms and practices. Does anybody happen to know what those five rhythms are? Okay, prayer. It's on the screen, so y'all should be. What else? Prayer, rest, learning, gathering, 
contributing. Perfect. You guys are A students already. So last week we talked about prayer. Um, it was a beautiful time. If you missed that, Spencer was teaching on prayer and we have that online. I think YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, and on our website as well. I'd encourage you to go check it out. This week we are diving into rest. Um, earlier, Spencer mentioned that our mission here is to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things, and these are what those practices look like for us. They are outward examples. They actually start inward and then face outward as you go through the five. So the next couple of weeks, we'll stay in this series. We would love for you to be a part, but today we are talking about rest, what it looks like to be a community that is practicing rest and specifically, my hope is that we are able to address the ache and yearn that we see in society for rest. Um, and those aches and yearns, I would say, are probably like busyness, exhaustion, overwork, being overwhelmed. Gavin in the back is shaking his head up and down. Yes. Gavin, how old are you again? At 11 years old, we know society's aches and yearnings, okay? I, he's right. He's right. I mean, does anybody else agree that busyness is an is epidemic right now? Maybe it's always been. I don't know. But right now, there's this overwhelming sense everybody is busy all the time. And do you ever think, like, if everybody's always busy, somebody's got to not be busy? You know what I mean? Like, we can't all be that busy. I don't know. That's my thoughts. So if today we're talking about rest, I am acknowledging as I look around the room, Spencer mentioned fall fashion. Obviously, you guys didn't get the memo. We were all supposed to wear our PJs today because when we're talking about rest, we really mean sleeping, right? And when you sleep, you're happy. And when you're happy, you love people better and you get to be more like Jesus. So that's why we're talking about sleep, right? No onesies, no PJ suits. Y'all can wear those next week. It's okay. Uh, almost. <laughs> okay, so you're right. That's not what we're talking about today. Sleep is an important aspect of rest, sure. We do need sleep to function as human beings, but rest goes way beyond that. Today, I want us to look into and to think about how we can live restful lives out of which we work, love, and bear witness to Jesus. So, I'm going to start us off with a couple of facts here that I came up with uh, or learned in my studies over the past couple weeks. The first of which comes from a Harvard study where they recognized that over the past few years, the question, how are you, suddenly shifted from being answered with fine thanks to really, really busy. So the average person a couple years ago would answer the question, how are you, with, I'm doing fine, thanks for asking. And now all of a sudden, it's just really busy. I'm just busy. Anybody ever heard somebody answer a question like that? Now, for the honest people in the room, anybody answered a question like that? More hands went up. Okay. Thank you for your honesty. Um, in the 1930s, the assumption was that by this point in history, the average workday would only be about three hours long. And that was because... <laughs> <laughs> that was because of the advancement of technology. Technology was rapidly advancing so much, we would only have to work about three hours a day or 15 hours a week to be able to maintain the same um, pace or accomplishments that we had in the 30s. Anybody on that three-hour day work week? We got a couple people. <laughs> I want it. I'm not experiencing it, but I want it. Instead of those three-hour-a-day work weeks, 
France, over the past couple years, has instituted this new law called the right to disconnect. And that right to disconnect means that any company that employs over 50 employees, it's actually illegal for them to send emails and communications after five o'clock in the evening. Illegal. Who's gotten an email or a call after five o'clock? Cody's hand went way up standing, standing in the back. So you see this wrestling within the workplace specifically in what the expectations were gonna be like versus the busyness and overwhelmed feeling that each of us are feeling. There was a Stanford study recently that said that workplace stress adds between 120 to $200 billion every year to the Americans, uh, the healthcare cost of Americans. 120 to $200 billion that come from the stress in our workplace. All the while, so this is the stress that we feel in the workplace, all the while studies would actually show us that Americans' working hours have steadily decreased over time. Y'all might not believe it. I checked several sources because I questioned it, but... A few, um, or in 1948, Americans averaged a work week of 42.8 hours a week. Right around 40, a little over. Today, we average 38.7 hours a week working. That might not be your personal story. I'm just telling y'all what the statistics say. The U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics specifically. <laughs> So there's this weird dichotomy of we all feel busy, we feel anxious, we feel overwhelmed, we're full of hurry. We're, we're slave to hurry, I feel like, in our society. And yet the statistics are saying maybe the hours aren't what we thought they were. I read another statistic that said the average person, not the average person, but for folks who had reported working 75 hours or more per week, when they actually looked at their calendar and mapped out their time, they were only working about 50, but they were claiming 75. Weird, right? I'll get off the statistics boat soon, I promise. So why are we feeling so busy? The reality is we used to um, acknowledge status or social status, like how important someone is through their social activities. That used to be kind of the claim to fame. These are the social activities I'm involved in. Over the last couple years, there's been a shift from kind of that social aspect to now um, productivity and busyness is now what defines our social status, our point or um, place in society. Does that make sense? I find that fascinating. So perhaps we are busy because busy is what defines importance now. We see all around us that to be important, we have to be busy. It points to the American dream. It points to the social mobility of climbing the ladder in your social life and in the workplace, the corporate ladder. Um, I even think about this idea of AirPods. Anybody have AirPods in the room? Don't you worry, guys. I still have the good old-fashioned headphones. They're actually referred to affectionately by some of you guys as my Burger Kings. Those things are great. They even have like a little, it plugs into my computer, you better believe it. It has the little thing that I can talk into. What I've learned is that people find AirPods to be significantly cooler than my Burger Kings. Can you guys believe that? 
I mean, I love my Burger Kings, but I think it's because the AirPods automatically, A, they can go with you anywhere, which is a nice feature. I'm not going to lie. You don't have to plug it in. But B, it's like this idea of being productive all the time. I can be vacuuming and talking on the phone or listening to a podcast or accomplishing something. I wouldn't know because I don't have them, but, but that's what the AirPods, I think, stand for and represent. So even in technology, you see this shift to help us be more productive, to help us be more busy, or to at least look like it. You know what I mean? So in my calculation, I have learned that there is 168 hours in a week. 168 hours that the culture is shaping and forming us. All around us, we're feeling the pressure of this, um, I guess, common idea of busyness and also this busyness that maybe we feel inwardly within ourselves. So what rhythms do we have to combat that influence? And that's what we're here to talk about today, that we are inundated by the culture. But my hope this morning is to help you critically think about what the culture is teaching you, to look critically at that, to biopsy the culture, and then to see the needs of the people around you in this culture, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, And then to ask yourselves, what do the scriptures say about those needs? How does the God that I serve meet these needs? And that's our hope with all of these rhythms that we're going through in this series. So what does it look like to have a lifestyle that's not dominated by hurry and exhaustion? What does it look like to be filled with margin and joy instead? Talk about counter to the culture. I mean, honestly, guys. If someone said, how are you doing? And you say, I just, I am enjoying margin right now. They probably don't know. They thought you said margarine. Anybody know what margarine is? There's only a couple Southern people in the room. It's okay. Okay. So we are going to look a little bit at um, what I kind of see is the origin of time, some Old Testament scriptures that Kristen read for us earlier to learn a little bit more about rest. In the beginning, what rest was, what it looked like, why it was there, all of those things. So we're going to revisit Genesis 2, 2 through 3. We'll put those back up on the screen for you guys, and I'm going to read them one more time. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. So here we see this word rest. We see it several times and we see that who was it that rested? God rested. Okay, so that word rest is actually a Hebrew word, or in its original translation, it's the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to cease work or to rest, which is where it's translated into the word rest. Makes sense, right? So with that word in particular, um, kind of propels me into our teaching this morning that when we use the word rest, we're using the word Shabbat, which is also referred to as Sabbath. Has anybody ever heard of the word Sabbath before? Keeping the Sabbath? Kristen read a passage earlier that also referenced the Sabbath. So you may hear me kind of use those interchangeably today. Um, But this is where I feel rest can go much deeper than just our sleep and our PJs. You know what I mean? It's part of a command that um, God has laid out for us. So we see here in Genesis that who created rest? God. And who practices it? God. Anybody else that's practicing this? If it's on the seventh day, Adam and Eve. Okay, God and man are practicing Sabbath. 
So God finishes, he exhales, and then he rests. When's the last time you actually exhaled? When's the, the last time you actually got to declare something finished? Now, I could be wrong. I could be overstepping. We may have to cut this out of the video later. But I feel like though God was finished, humanity wasn't fully complete. It was just Adam and Eve. You know what I mean? And the, the world still needed a little bit of attention. Like there were still things to be done, but God stopped. And when's the last time that even though things weren't fully done, we gave ourselves the grace to actually stop and rest, to exhale? Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, says it this way, that divine rest on the Sabbath day of creation has made clear, A, that Yahweh is not a workaholic, B, that Yahweh is not anxious about the full functioning of creation, and see that the well-being of creation does not depend on endless work. Man, he's not real good to look at, but that quote, <laughs> that quote needs to be on all of our mirrors. It, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have said that out loud, but... This quote needs to be on all of our mirrors. Yahweh is not, he should not be workaholic. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Yahweh is not anxious about the full functioning of creation. If the paper's not all the way finished, if the project's not all the way complete, if the house isn't all the way clean, we shouldn't be anxious about those things either. And the well-being of creation does not depend on endless work. Anybody ever felt like if you stopped doing what you were doing, the world might end? If God didn't even feel that way, we really need to check our pride there. I also think it's profound, and I have a timeline visual that I'm going to put up on the screen here, but that Adam and Eve had done nothing to earn the gift of Sabbath. So I've always heard it phrased that you work for six days and you get to rest on the seventh. Well, that's what God did. And I do want to be like God in the most healthy form of the way that I can say that. But when I look at this timeline that we're gonna put here on the screen, Adam and Eve experienced a different point in that process. So for six days, God created the world and everything that was in it. On the sixth day, God created man and on the seventh day, we see God instituting rest. But that seventh day was Adam and Eve's first day. They begin from rest. They start from rest. That brought me to this reality that rest is not a reward. It's a gift. Oftentimes, I see rest as what I get at the finish line when I accomplish that thing. But if we look at this timeline here that God has instituted, his creation narrative, rest was a reward that they got to begin life with. So what does it look like for us to practice the same? Now I'm gonna hop over. I know Kristen read for us earlier, but to the 10 commandments where we see this idea of Sabbath, um, really probably for the first time. So we heard that God rested, uh, but then we see more of this command that is um, instituted through the Ten Commandments. Anybody ever heard of the Ten Commandments before? 
If you haven't, that's totally fine. We're gonna give a brief overview, but before we do, I'm specifically gonna look at Exodus 20, verses eight through 11, one more time. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor your foreigner residing in your towns. As Kristen said, that's everybody. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath that the Lord and made it holy. So this is one of 10 commandments that the Lord spoke to Moses as he was leading the Israelites. I do have a um, quick slide here that's just gonna give you a little bit of context of what those 10 commandments are. This is the um, children's version that cuts straight to the chase. But 10 commandments that you can pull from Exodus 20. And really, if you guys have your Bibles, I'd go ahead and open up to Exodus 20 because we're gonna sit here for a second. But the first, there's no other gods. Number two, no worshiping idols. Three, respect God's name. Four, remember God's day of rest. That's the Sabbath. Five, respect your parents. Six, do not murder. Seven, do not commit adultery. Eight, do not steal. Nine, do not lie. And 10, do not be jealous. Now that is the Cliff Notes version. I want you guys to check it out for yourselves. But this is an overview of what I just pulled those verses or scriptures from. And there's an author and pastor by the name of Rich Velotis, who I think gives a good overview of the purpose of those Ten Commandments or kind of how they fit into the greater um, narrative of the scriptures. Uh, shout out, we do have one of his books up front in our little library cart. But let's look at this um, quote together. Pastor Rich says, God never intended the Ten Commandments to be the means by which people enter into relationship with him. He first rescued his people out of Egypt, those are the Israelites, and then gave them the commandments. He didn't give them the commandments to live out perfectly as a condition to leading to their rescue, like for most other religions, which are often based on human performance. The reason the Ten Commandments are given is because they would become a way of life that describes what redeemed people look and live life like. I thought that was so beautiful. What Rich is saying here is that the Ten Commandments weren't um, this book of laws that had to be accomplished for the Israelites to be, um, I don't know, sent out of Egypt and experience freedom. It was once they were sent from Egypt in experiencing freedom that he then gave them these Ten Commandments to say, this is what redeemed people look and live like. And if you know anything about the story of the Israelites, even in freedom, even once they were outside of Pharaoh's grip, they still operated as if they were enslaved and in some ways said, we'd rather be back. We'd rather go back. So no wonder God provided this outline of, hey, this is what it looks like to live in freedom. This is what it looks like to be a redeemed people. So that's a little bit uh, about the Ten Commandments. Um, the Israelites had been in captivity for 400 years and the Lord led them out of slavery and bondage through Moses. And now he says, this is what redemption or freedom looks like through these Ten Commandments. Adultery. So um, as I look at those Ten Commandments that were given, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, just to hit a few. I feel like as a pastor here, um, if I were to engage in most of those, you guys would probably be appalled. I would 
hopefully lose my job. You know what I mean? Like, hold me accountable. Amen. Um, But there is at least one in there that I'm like, you know what? That's probably the one that the more I pressed into it, the more I might be celebrated. And that's this idea of honoring the Sabbath day, of resting. In my jealousy, in my lying, in my stealing, murdering, committing adultery, all those things would be a quick like, oh no, she didn't. But the minute I don't remember God's day of rest, but I'm up here, you know, painting the walls or hanging the lights or doing whatever the things are that we call work, I might even get a raise. I don't know. Might get a promotion. Imagine yourself in your workplace. You know what I mean? That's the one that I feel like most people uh, overlook, ignore, disregard, think it doesn't have to do with this day and time. When the reality is we just spent, I don't know how many minutes, (laughs) talking about how anxious and hurried and overwhelmed we all feel. This might be the one we need the most, even though it's the one that we disregard the most. You could argue argue that the fourth commandment is the most violated by everyone. It's also the commandment we often boast about and break in our pride to express how tirelessly we work. That's what I was referencing earlier. It's almost a badge of honor to talk about how busy you are, how late you worked last night. I remember in my days in public accounting, it was like whoever was the best associate stayed the latest the night before. I worked on one tax return till about 2 a.m. and I walked in the next day irritable, but proud. You know what I mean? Guess what I did? <laughs> Never got that tax return to balance, right? But that's okay. Um, that was a uh, um, This man will understand, but that's okay. <laughs> um, since you guys are open to um, this passage in Exodus right now, I want you to look at the attention that's given to each uh, commandment in Exodus, and you'll see, and even if you're not there, I'll explain for you, that the fourth commandment has a good deal of commentary around it. There's a big chunk of words accompanying that um, commandment specifically. Some are just one-liners, you know what I mean? But this has got some explanation around it. For 400 years, the people of God had one identity. They were slaves, and it was the job of slaves to work. Does that make sense? Their identity, their fundamental identity was wrapped up in this concept of working. So it required more explanation in why this was needed and what that looked like, more weight around it. I feel like this is an incredible grace that while they uh, are in theory accomplishing nothing, No work is being done, no productivity, no um, boxes to be checked off a to-do list. It's in that accomplishing nothing that God loves us. What a grace that is. In our rest, God loves us. For the Israelites, while they are in the desert, just learning what it's like to live outside of bondage, saying things that they're probably gonna be regretting later, getting all lost and going the wrong ways, I mean, That is when God provides this grace of rest. And they can't even fathom what it looks like because they're so used to earning everything, working for everything, it being required of them. I see us and our society so much in the Israelites. We've talked so much about this being a wilderness season, not wanting to go back to Egypt, but it's all we know. You know what I mean? We're, we're in a pandemic right now and we keep looking back to the past where God has provided us this grace. And he says, I love you even when you're not productive. I love you even when you're not earning anything. That's the grace that I offer. 
In the Old Testament, I feel like I saw three primary reasons for Sabbath. I'm gonna put those up for the screen, on the screen for us, the first of which is creation. So in Genesis, we see that we were created to rest. We were created for other things as well, but initially in the creation story on day one, Adam and Eve were prompted to rest. Number two, imitation. We rest because God did. If God would not have rested, my hope is that Adam and Eve would have not rested. But since he did, they followed his lead and so should we. And then the third reason is liberation. In Exodus, as uh, the Israelites are leaving captivity or being sent from captivity, we recognize that slaves don't rest, but that God has liberated them and us from Pharaoh. So now we get to rest. We are no longer in captivity. Three reasons for rest and Sabbath. We have found freedom in God and in God alone. Now, just for context's sake, um, and this is what I got confused and told Kristen to read earlier, but we're gonna glance real quick at Exodus 5, verses six through nine, just to explore a little bit more about life would have been like for those Israelites before the Exodus. So before the passages that we've gotten to, how was Pharaoh acting? What did it look like for him to be over them, that leadership, and et cetera? Exodus 5, verses six through nine. Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they are crying out. Let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. Let me translate this a little bit different. Your um, professor said, instead of typing that 40-page paper, you need to write it out by hand in cursive. But I want it to be done at the same amount of time. Um, you're not allowed to use any books or resources. You actually have to go out and talk to every person that was alive during that time to get your, um, I guess, answers or the information that you need, and then you'll write your paper that way. Or in the workplace, I'm actually gonna take away your computer and your phone but I still expect you to accomplish all you were meant to accomplish when you had Excel and when you had people that you could call on for help. Um, just this crazy, like I expect you to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota, but they have to go out and get the straw themselves. Like they have to get all the pieces of the puzzle and put it together. And this is all being done. I know this is a little bit of like a Side note here, this is all being done because Moses and Aaron came to advocate for time to pray to the Lord and offer sacrifices and worship him, and Pharaoh got mad. So this is kind of the context of the leadership that the Israelites were under before they fled captivity. This is the work that they were used to. There's a quota to be met. You're lazy. You need to do these things. You need to sweat. You know what I mean? Like, this is what's going on. Pharaoh wouldn't allow rest in Egypt. There's something about this that can fix me um, for any of us that are in positions of authority or leadership or management, positions of power and influence. We have an obligation to let other people less rest as well. There's a correlation between power and Sabbath or rest, and it's interesting to see here the projection that Pharaoh puts on his, uh, the, the slaves. You're lazy, make them sweat. 
you know Pharaoh probably sitting up there eating something, not doing anything, telling these people they're lazy as they're making brick after brick after brick, sweating like crazy, working like crazy, and now he's saying go get the contents to do that too? I just want us to know that we have an obligation to let others rest as well. For some of us, rest seems like a far off concept. And though we see in this story in the Old Testament, God countering the restless anxiety of Pharaoh and freeing his people and then offering this gift and grace of rest. For us, it feels like, yeah, but that was then and this is now. And Jordan, you don't see my calendar. You don't see my to-do list. You don't even know what's going through my mind right now. So I wanna give you guys the opportunity to stop and breathe and do a little activity. You're not gonna have to report on it, but in your notebook, in your phone, in your mind, wherever you can write something down, I want you to name what you're restless about today, what you're thinking about, what's causing anxiety, something you're waiting on. I'm being serious, write it down, like legitimately. Pull your phone out, write that thing down, name it. You guys have that thing written down? I'm here to tell you that even if or when that one thing happens, it comes through to completion, you achieve it, it's, in, it's over, it's done. Unfortunately, I don't believe that your soul will find rest. There will be another thing. There will be another worry. Henry Nowen, who's an author and psychologist, calls this destination disease. When you're just waiting to get to the next spot, but as soon as you get there, now there's a new destination. And the anxiety and the worry and the stress and the overwhelmed feeling and the busyness and the captivity that we feel, it never ends. So we just keep aiming for the next destination, waiting for the next thing, and we end up missing the mark and being unfulfilled time after time after time. That's exhausting. I mean, that's really exhausting. I feel like there are three types of restlessness that I've identified that I wanted to share with you guys this morning. The first of which is fatigue of the body. This is when you really don't get as much sleep as you needed to. You know what I mean? Like you are actually tired and need a nap. We push our bodies to the limits. We live off cups of coffee, Red Bull, whatever the new energy drink is. That's fatigue of the body. Then there's fatigue of the mind, where in any given day, we recognize we're bombarded by so much information, a ceaseless amount. I mean, it's just nuts. The ads that we see, the um, conversations that we hear, the information that we take in, we have no time to really absorb or process at all. I had a project, the coolest class project, any teachers in the room, as a fourth grader where I um, got to time, it had something to do with math, but time the amount of, um, or like how long, commercials during like a TV show would last. Fascinating as a fourth grader. I'm like, mom, doing my homework. Click, <laughs> you know, click. Um, but even to see the amount of commercials that come through on a television, on a radio, now it's Spotify, um, social media, there's so much information, even subconsciously being thrown at us, that we don't even know that our brain's trying to process. It's grasping for our attention. And then there's fatigue of the soul, where people right now who have little margin to be with God 
and foster a life-giving rhythm for the long haul. And all of these fatigues, they wear on us, accompanied with what Henry Nouwen talked about with destination disease. No wonder we're a depressed society. No wonder we're full of anxiety. No wonder we can't calm ourselves down. We can't sleep. Look at the pressures that are weighing on us. But what if I told you we could serve a God that meets the needs of all three fatigues? Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is one of Jesus' teachings here. You will find rest for your souls. He said that to the Israelites as they were leaving Egyptian captivity, and he's saying that to us now. We can find rest for our souls. Now, I know that seems easy. It sounds easy, but it's like, what is that? What does that even mean? And how do I know? And what do I do? You know what I'm like? What do I do with this? This is like one of those cool verses that you want to believe in, but it's like when rubber meets the road, what now? I learned in um, honestly just, I don't know, examining my own heart and letting the Lord speak that there's this awkward dichotomy or um, tension between trust and rest that the degree of our trust is the degree of our rest. To the degree that we can trust something is the degree that we can then experience rest in it. If you don't believe me, anybody with kids in the room, go ahead and leave your kid with a babysitter that you don't trust. And let me know how that date night goes. (laughs) You're not gonna have fun at all. Or get in an airplane that looks a little sketchy. Anybody ever um, flown with like Allegiant or Spirit? You're like, I paid $43 for this ticket. Lord save my soul. And then when you start experiencing the turbulence, you're like, I cannot rest. This is not okay because you don't trust. Or let your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife work late a few nights in a row. And that lack of trust will start to show itself. You'll feel anxious and worried and you won't be able to rest. There is a direct correlation between trust and rest. When you do not trust, you cannot rest. So what if the question isn't really, are you too busy for Jesus? What if the question is, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him with whatever that thing is that you just wrote down in your notebook or on your phone or that's on your mind? Do you trust him with that thing? Your job, your love life, your friends, your reputation, your success, your beauty, your identity, whatever it is, do we trust him? Oftentimes I feel like our working, not oftentimes, for me maybe honestly all the time, our working is a hope to try our best to maintain control over that thing. If I could just work a little more, work a little harder, put in some extra time, I can earn their love, I can earn their promotion, I can do this, I can do that. And maybe part of the time it does. 
But for some reason, the hurriedness stays, right? The rushed spirit, the anxiety, it all stays even as we accomplish those things because we are holding on to control. Our trust is in ourselves. I don't know about y'all, but I do not want my trust in me. I am too flawed for that. There's a secular rhythm that goes something like this. Work, 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 work. Work, 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 probably about 10 more works. Vacation. Who likes vacation? I like vacation too. But once you put in all those works, do you really get to vacation? That's a story for a different day. Then there's a sacred rhythm that goes something like this. Sabbath, work, 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 six times. Sabbath, you know what I mean? There's a, it's a cyclical may or may not be a good way to put it, but there's a rhythmic way to this where there is rejuvenation that is built in. The Lord has provided that grace. I'm saying that over and over again. I've heard Spencer mention it before, this idea of us all needing to be able to, if we're a car, pull off the road and get gas. Some of us are going down I-40, going 80. I'm praying for you. The cops will get you. Going 80 on zero thinking, I don't need gas. Or if I can just make it to this vacation, it'll be better. But if we had a rhythm of stopping for gas, wouldn't things just be so much healthier? We have to rely on the gas to fill the tank and know that the gas comes from the Lord. I'm going down a whole new tangent with that. So I don't believe you need vacation. I believe you need Sabbath. You need a regular rhythm of rest in your life. Vacation's nice too. Sabbath is more important. Now, I'm not saying don't work because work with no rest is slavery, but rest with no work is laziness and neither are good. I'm not advocating for either by any stretch of the imagination. The invitation to rest is simultaneously an invitation to work. And we're gonna get into that uh, as we get down to contributing one of our rhythms that we are practicing as a community But I want you to work and work hard for those six days. But take the grace of rest and Sabbath that the Lord has given us. So what is Sabbath? It's a 24-hour period where you rest from trying to make something of yourself. It's where you can do absolutely nothing and God loves you. You can achieve absolutely nothing and God loves you. Wow. Can I say that again? You can do absolutely nothing and God loves you. You can achieve absolutely nothing and God loves you. You don't have to earn it. Sabbath was a way to push back against the culture of Egypt now for the Israelites. And it's a way for us to push back against the culture of the West now as well. It pushes back on a complex that we can save the world, that we can achieve it all on our own. We, we, we. It takes that trust away from us and puts it on the Lord. For anybody who's ever practiced Sabbath before, this has been an ongoing journey for me for probably about two, two and a half years. I have shed many tears on my Sabbath. I just want you guys to know. There is such a power struggle to having a day that you are trying not to work, that's like trying not to earn, trying not to hustle. And the control that's like, I'm. You know, there are some things in life that you're like, here, Lord, take it. And that's such a beautiful interaction and exchange. Then there are some things that you're like, there you go, Lord, you can maybe have it. (laughs) And each finger being pried open is painful, painful. 
Rich Lotus, who we mentioned earlier, refers to Sabbath as a a weekly 24-hour period of unhurried delight with no have-tos or ought-tos resulting in deep rest and renewal. Deep rest and renewal. It's about slowing down our pace to create space for God to transform us by His grace. That's what Sabbath is all about. So when we look at Jesus' example, I just want you guys to know, um, and we'll close out with this and and a few other things, but Jesus would have practiced Sabbath. It would have been part of his regular rhythm. So when you look in the New Testament, you're like, Jordan, I don't see a ton of examples of rest and Sabbath. Um, I see maybe Jesus like pushing back on the Pharisees a little bit with rest and Sabbath, but why don't I see a lot? That's because it would have been so normal for him that there wouldn't really be a big need to talk about it. This is just what we do, like eating and drinking. You know what I mean? As a Jew, it was custom for him to participate in Sabbath weekly. And honestly, guys, from a rest standpoint, I never have really thought of Jesus as being real fast. Never really seen examples in Scripture of him running. Has anybody seen Jesus running in the Scriptures? I really don't think he was the most hurried. I don't know if he was hurried at all, really from what I read about him. Um, His speed seemed to be counter to the expectation of those around him. And I think primarily of a passage of Scripture in John 11 where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And Martha told Jesus, if only you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Because Jesus showed up a little bit late to the scene. Lazarus is already dead. That's why he had to raise him from the dead. But if he would have just come when he was asked, he could have healed Lazarus when he was still alive, merely sick. And Martha said, if only you had been here. I feel like in that you can sense the um, just lack of timeliness. You ever had a friend that showed up late? And you're like, if only you had been here when the food was warm when I actually needed your help moving the couch. You know what I mean? Except this is with the weight of someone's life. This is life or death. I'm also reminded of really the only time I think in scriptures that we see Jesus actually sleeping, or we, we see, I say see, but read. You know what I mean? That we read of Jesus actually sleeping. That's in Mark 4, where he's on a boat with the disciples in a storm. Anybody heard that story? And he is napping. And there is a legit hurricane taking place on the water. Is it a hurricane on the water? (laughs) Y'all are following me. And the disciples are like, what is wrong with you? We are about to die and you are over here chilling. But in that, I just see this non-anxious presence that Jesus is. When he's like, do you have no faith? Watch this and calms the storms. Not to mention, he left lots of people on the shore to get in that boat and take that nap. The work wasn't complete. People were following him out there, but he still chose rest. And rest doesn't mean that there aren't going to be storms present, that there aren't going to be challenges, but trusting during the storm. Where is your trust at? Earlier I said that the Sabbath was intended to help the Israelites see what redeemed people look and live like. Rest is intended to free us. We are an enslaved people. I believe that the practice of the Sabbath offends all idols. It offends our productivity. It offends careerism. It offends offends sports and friends. It offends this concept of self-help. When you relinquish control, that offends this self-help idea. Sabbath affects the bottom line. 
If you don't believe me, ask Chick-fil-A or Hobby Lobby or even Union how much money they could make from being open on Sundays. Sabbath affects these things. It requires sacrifice. Even in the wilderness with scarce resources, God mandated the Sabbath for the Israelites. It's not supposed to come when we have all we need. It's not supposed to come when we've checked every box where we're fulfilled and satisfied. It's supposed to require a little bit of us. It's supposed to require the relinquishing control. So lastly here, I have a couple tangible practices of Sabbath for us. I believe that the scriptures share a lot about what to not do on Sabbath, and that's to work. But the Lord has given us freedom on what the Sabbath can look like. So I have these four practices here of stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. To enter into your Sabbath day and to enjoy these things, to actually stop what you're doing. I read a few articles of folks referencing like those cooking shows where they're, they're in a competition and the countdown clock goes off and it's like all hands are up. The, the spatula flies across the room, you know what I mean? Like, I'm done. What does it look like to have a moment in your week where you can really put your hands up and say, I'm done. I worked hard. To rest, to actually enjoy what it feels like for your body to get those full eight hours, to get a nap. To lay down, that's an okay thing, guys. To delight. To know that the Lord put desires in your heart for you to enjoy them when they're put there by the Lord. And to worship Him. What does it look like to worship and delight in the Lord? Just from my personal experience over the last two years, Sabbath is more about pouring into your soul than vegging out. It's not me time, it's not self-care Saturday, it's not time to, to binge on Netflix. It's about being, it's not about doing. It's an opportunity to live and thrive in a space filled with who God is. This is hard for me. I've learned that Sabbath doesn't mean solitude. If God wanted to Sabbath or rest on his own, he would have done that before he created Adam and Eve. Instead, he created Adam and Eve, and then they rested. So I want you to make a list of things that are life-giving. Put them on your fridge. Put them on your mirror. Know what those things are. Because when your Sabbath comes, I'm going to bet you're too exhausted to think about what's life-giving. So you're going to retreat to the vegging out, the Netflix, the me time. What do I feel like doing right now? But to have those things prepared in advance to know, you know what? Being in nature is life-giving. I delight in the Lord in those spaces. You know what? Having a meal with friends is where I delight in the Lord and experience His goodness and the grace of this restful day. To have a list of those things I think will be helpful. And I would encourage you to eliminate things off that list that mindlessly rob you of joy, life, and time. I don't know what those things are for you, but for me, that's shopping. I can shop for hours and never accomplish anything. It takes all my time. Cleaning, I can clean for hours and it still isn't clean enough. That takes my time. And technology, I can scroll and search and do whatever for hours. There are always more of those things for me. So what are those things for you? 
There's an ancient Jewish tradition that just made me smile as I learned about it, where on the Sabbath day, the father would wake up before the rest of the household and get a spoonful of honey for every child in the house. When he would wake them up, he'd give them the spoonful of honey so that the children would never forget the sweetness of God's rest. Isn't that so good? A.J. Swoboda, who's an author, um, has a book where he was writing in, in reference something similar, where Sabbath for their family always involves pancakes and syrup because he wants his children to know the sweetness of that resting day, to remember the Sabbath because we are so prone to forgetting the sweetness of God's rest.